It's the third message in a series of messages uh, all addressing this theme. And just a reminder, you've heard it many times before, but Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, those are simple words and words that many of us have read before and spoken before and prayed before. But Father, we want to be your people. And at times we take pride in being called by your name. Father, help us to humble ourselves and to pray and to earnestly seek your face. Father, stir within us a drive, a desire, a determination to turn from any wickedness. And Father, help us to hear you. And Father, we ask that you would forgive our sin. Father, I would ask that you would forgive my sin. And that you would heal our land. Not for my satisfaction, not for our satisfaction, not for political motives but because people need to be in a real personal, life-changing love relationship with you. Thank you, Father. Amen. As I've said repeatedly, uh, we've been looking at 12 prayers for sweeping revival and spiritual awakening. And again, I want to say this is the last time we're going to cover these. I want to emphasize this is not the prayers themselves are not original content. I'm trying to share the prayers with you and then share some scriptural perspective uh, with minimal commentary, not no commentary, but minimal con- commentary from me because I think sometimes the word speaks to these issues far more clearly than I possibly could. Um, so, again, what we've covered thus far, uh, praying for God's mercy upon our land, praying for a spirit of brokenness and repentance. And again, just prior to starting this series, we looked at repentance. And again, repentance is that concept of not just being sorry for our choices and uh, being concerned about the consequences of our sinful behavior, but being sorry enough to change. Repent and turn, Acts 3.19 talks about. So again, praying for a spirit of brokenness, broken over our sinfulness, but also motivated to change and pursue a different course. Then praying for boldness, holiness, and power in our pastors. And again, this is not to say uh, serving in full-time vocational ministry has not always been a challenge. But in this season in our land... The church needs pastors who are willing to be bold and accept the consequences for their boldness. They need to be men and women who are fully committed to holiness in all areas of our lives. And they need God's power in order for them to be effective. Um, So again, just a reminder, that's all of our responsibility, is to pray for those who provide leadership to God's people. Then fervent prayer to sweep our land. Again, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a huge student of revival. But when the little bit I've looked at it through the course of modern history, prayer and revival have always been inextricably intertwined. And if we truly want to see a move of God, then a part of that move is grounded, rooted, and driven by the prayers of God's people. And it's interesting. I've been doing this a long time, 
And I have rarely, I won't say never, but I've rarely talked to passionate Christ followers who don't at some point in time say, gosh, I just need to be more disciplined in prayer. I don't know, again, I'm hard-pressed, I think and maybe think of a couple who just were fully confident in the depth, the intensity, the consistency, and the magnitude of their prayer lives. Most everyone else says, gosh, i got to lean into it more. So just an encouragement there. Uh, unity in churches and families. And again, as I said last week, um, again, the need for the people of God to come together, not and agree on everything, but to find the things upon which they can agree, those things which are God-honoring, and lean into those collectively. Doesn't mean we have to agree on all the doctrinal issues, but it does mean we have to agree, agree on some of the fundamental uh, tenets of Scripture in terms of the role that Christ plays and the role of the cross and our need to respond to that. And again, uh, as I said, as much as I acknowledge the need for unity in churches and families, I'm not saying we need to be unified with all groups who call themselves a church but are not honoring God's choices and God's directions. So that's a difficult stance and requires discernment on all our parts. An explosion of evangelism. Again, lives need to be changed through a real personal life-changing love relationship with God. And I will concede, I said last week as a part of the message, as our culture has shifted and as we try to figure out what post-pandemic ministry looks like, as we try to figure out what ministry in a culture that is no longer unified about Christian principles looks like, what evangelism looks like, that's a learning curve that every church and every Christ follower in every church needs to be looking at. Some of you, well, there aren't very many old-timers like me, but there are a few. I remember back in the day when I was being taught how to evangelize, it was a track. It was a booklet. The, the rage was the four spiritual laws. And if you tried that now, I mean, I'm sure people are effective with it, but people would wonder what planet you came from. Just saying, we have to figure out, and yes, I will concede, there is a role for the digital realm and social media and all of that. But we have to collectively figure out what it looks like for us as a group and what it looks like for us individually. Then a passion for missions. Again, we're talking globally, but we're also talking missions with our neighbor. So just praying for a passion for missions, and then praying for an increase of labors. And again, as I emphasized, these are times when all who would call themselves followers of Christ need to be willing to do the work. At our board meeting on Monday night, Ron Owens talked to the LBA about a passage of Scripture we'd looked at before that says, be strong and courageous and do the work. That's all of us. The work of the ministry is not just for the professionals. The work of the ministry needs to take place at times in spite of the professionals. But it is on all of us. And it's easy for me to say because I am a professional. Wow, that sounds weird. But, but I, I get paid for what I do. I get paid to make this a priority. But the reality is all of us have a role to play. 
and many times the role that you play. I've said this before over the years, but when we have first-time guests, they expect me to be nice to them. I'm just saying, they know I get paid to be nice to them. When you're nice to them, that makes a huge difference. When I remember their name, they think I'm a rock star. (laughs) When you remember their name, they're just awed. Just putting it out there. All right, so we're all laborers. Uh, Every volunteer role, every professional role, all of it. If the church is going to grow, it needs people who are willing to do the work. I shared from Nehemiah, and I'm going to go back there in a little bit, but I shared from Nehemiah that image of rebuilding the wall where the workers had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other as they fought the battles that needed to be fought at the same time doing God's work. Every day of your lives, you are fighting battles that need to be fought for the kingdom of God and doing his work. And you need to look at it every day as you step out the door of your house, whether it's work, school, family, whatever. All right, so those are the ones up to this point. So today we're going to look at four more. Pray for pure motives and kingdom purpose. And the prayer goes this way. Holy Lord, we ask you to deepen and purify our very motives in praying for revival and blessing. Lord, teach us to seek your face and not just your hand. Cause us to seek you and not just your comfort or blessing. Dear God, teach us to pray for your glory and pleasure, not for our own. And I just want to start with that first sentence. We ask you to deepen and purify our very motives in praying for revival and blessing. As you know, I have strong political views. I try to limit them in this context. But I realize for me, sometimes my motive in praying for revival is so that those who disagree with me will be put in their place. Can we just be honest? You know what? Lord, all those people that just are nuts, bring revival, kick them to the curb, and put them in their place. Now, I'm overstating that at least just a little bit. But is my passion in praying for God's will to be done so that all might be saved or so that my will would be accomplished? Sometimes, for me, it is a lot easier to question the motives of other people than it is to question my own. But I think that prayer and saying, Lord, bring revival. Am I willing to pray, Lord, bring revival even if it doesn't look the way I think it should? I mean, I have a pretty clear expectation for God to bring revival and what it would look like. It would mean more people think and act like I do. I don't necessarily think it might mean I need to act more like somebody else does. Holy Lord, we ask you to deepen and purify our very motives in praying for revival and blessing, not just to put those down who disagree with me. Lord, teach us to seek your face and not just your hand. Cause us to seek you and not just your comfort or blessing. Dear God, teach us to pray for your glory and pleasure, not for our own. Just think for a moment. What if God said to you or to us, I will bring revival, but it's going to look this way. And the way it's going to look is not what you were expecting. 
but God said, this is my plan. How would I lean into that? Some scripture on this, <clears throat> along these lines. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the Spirit of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Sometimes when I'm praying God for, to, for God to fix things, if he were judging the attitude of my heart, it may not be something that I was proud of. Just a thought. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even into dividing soul and spirit, joints, marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And again, I will confess, sometimes my prayers for revival are grounded more in frustration and irritation than they are in love. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, when I pray for revival, when we pray for revival, if our motives are pure, it is all about God's will and God's glory, not my will and my expectations. Continuing in Philippians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I pray for revival, is that is that where I'm willing to go? Whatever he wants is good, even if it costs me what I want. That's kind of up close and personal. Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one in the one spirit, striving together, as one for the faith of the gospel. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's tough, at least for me. Continuing Philippians chapter 2, do... <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I choked on that one. <laughs> when, I, when I think about praying for revival, uh, maybe we could just put it this way. Pray, pray for revival without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> do everything without grumbling or arguing... <clears throat> So that you may become blameless and pure children. Let's just back up here. I, I just saw this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the crooked and warped, or warped and crooked generation. So if, if, if I'm understanding this correctly, if I'm grumbling or arguing, then I'm not blameless and pure? Just a thought. You may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And friends, can I just say, the world needs followers of Christ who will shine like stars in a crooked and depraved world. It desperately needs to look at us and see something appealing and attractive. Now, friends, listen carefully. The challenge is standing for righteousness without compromise and still shining like stars. That's a balance we must all fight for, and it will look different in each one of us. Verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. So since I interrupted it, let me back up. 
Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's our calling, friends. That's our calling. Then just a couple more. Paul says, I've become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. That means I have to strike a balance. We have to strike a balance. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Close your eyes and bow your heads and pray with me. Holy Lord, we ask you to deepen and purify our very motives in praying for revival and blessing. Lord, teach us. Lord, teach me to seek your face and not just your hands. Cause us, cause me to seek you and not just your comfort or blessing. Dear God, teach us to pray for your glory and your pleasure, not for our own. Amen. Next prayer. Gosh, this is getting increasingly awkward. Um, pray for the for salvation and wisdom in government leaders. Holy Father, we humbly ask for a mighty move of conviction and salvation in government leaders and others who influence culture. We ask you to pour out convicting, saving power upon Washington, D.C., colleges, universities, media networks, and the Hollywood movie industry. We ask that you so move that millions will be converted to Christ in these strategic communities of of strategic communities of cultural influence. Can I just say, I spend some time once in a while grumbling about some of those things we just mentioned. I know that stuns some of you. I may have even grumbled to some of you in or in your presence. I'm, as I said at the start of this series, I'm convicted because I will confess there are times when I spend way more time grumbling and whining and grousing about this stuff than I do praying about it. And that's just inexcusable because it doesn't cost me anything up front to pray those things and to pray for those individuals. And I will go a step further. Sometimes I pray for God to deal with those people without praying for God to call them to salvation. And when I ask myself the question, why not? I don't have a good answer. Because I think, I don't think, I know. That's where real change comes from is not for someone of the other political party to switch to my political party, but for them to switch from not being a follower of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. We probably still won't agree on politics, but if we can both agree on what it takes to enter into saving relationship with God, then we at least have some common ground to build from. So, can I just say... If you're watching the news and you see something you don't like, don't throw the remote. Just pray. Not that they will see the error of their ways, 
but that they will see Jesus. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Timothy says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intersection, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Start with prayer for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Start with prayer. All right. Uh, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge to a knowledge of the truth. Vote your conscience, vote your convictions, vote your faith, but pray for those who lead like you believe that it matters. <clears throat> Romans 13, 1 through 5, this is one, we'll have some fellowship with God when I have a chance to meet him face to face and tell him my opinion on some of this, uh, which I'm sure will make him say, gee, Steve, I don't know why I never saw it that way. Uh, Paul says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Friends, I wish I could explain that to you in some way that it made sense to me. But like much of Scripture, sometimes I just have to read it and then do the hard work of figuring out what that looks like in my life. And when I have strong disagreements with decisions by those who are in leadership, who have been elected elected to positions that I didn't vote for, that's hard spiritual work that I have to grind out and that we all have to grind out. And it may look different for each and every one of us, but it's part of the work of our faith. As we pray for those who are over us, I thought about Nehemiah, as I referenced earlier. Again, Nehemiah was grieved over the state of Jerusalem. The wall had been torn down. He was in exile, uh, serving the king of the country that had destroyed his homeland. And God began to stir in his heart. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, he got a report from how bad things were back in Jerusalem. I sat down and wept. He heard how bad things were. He sat down and wept. Things were a mess. I watched the news recently. Sometimes things are a mess for us too. Things are a mess. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then jump ahead to verse 2. Or chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king of Artaxerxes, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Now that speaks about the character of Nehemiah, alright? He's in a foreign land serving a foreign king. He's the cupbearer, and the king had never seen him sad before. 
Now, he's a slave. But the king had never seen him sad before. So he goes into Artaxerxes' presence and says, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. So in other words, he's been praying and fasting leading up to this. He's in the king's presence, and the king says, I'm, I'm concerned that you're sad. What can I do for you? And he says this, first of all, he prayed and fasted for weeks. Now this is one of those rapid-fire prayers. Uh-oh, what do I do now? Uh, then I prayed to the God of heaven before he spoke. And I answer the king, if it pleases the king, if and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, just wrap your heads around that for a moment, folks. This is the king of the country that destroyed it in the first place. And now because one of his servants is upset, this servant has the audacity to say, well, you know what, here's what I'm sad about. Why don't you send me back to go rebuild what you destroyed? Or what was destroyed on your account? Who does that? This king had no use for Jerusalem personally. But after praying and fasting and then offering up that bullet prayer, Lord, what do I say now? He has the audacity to say, well, here's what would make me better. Send me back to fix it. And again, some of you know the story well enough to know. He said, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Really? And he says, well, as long as we're on a roll here, how about you give me letters so that people don't kill me on the way? And how about you give me letters so that I can get the supplies I need to rebuild the wall? (laughs) And the king said, okay. (laughs) So friends... If you think praying for our political leaders won't make a difference, I don't know that they will, but I'm pretty sure it's the same God. Just putting it out there. Pray with me. Holy Father, we humbly ask for a mighty move of conviction and salvation in government leaders and others who influence culture. We ask you to pour out conviction. Excuse me. We ask you to pour out convicting, saving power upon Washington, D.C., upon colleges, universities, media networks, and the Hollywood movie industry. Father, we throw in state and local politics into that mix as well. We ask that you so move that millions will be converted to Christ in these strategic communities of cultural influence. Amen. Pray for sweeping revival in the church. Righteous Lord, we ask you to send sweeping revival even if it takes hard times and great trials. Kind of choked on that one too. Righteous Lord, we ask you to send sweeping revival even if it takes hard times and great trials to prepare the soil of our hearts. 
Father, we pray not for shallow, selfish ends, but for your great glory and kingdom. Cause us to come to you in true humility, brokenness, and contriteness of heart. Sweeping revival, even if it takes hard times and great trials to prepare the soil of our hearts. Some of you may have been around. It's been a long time, but I've I've shared these before. But as I look at that today, and I think about that we're still just starting to recover from a global pandemic that killed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And it may have happened elsewhere, but I've seen no indication that all of that hard times and great trials of a global pandemic generating revival. Again, as you know, I try to make it clear, it's not all about attendance. But sometimes that's an indicator. And when I look at what was happening in March and April of 2020 and how there was a great government conspiracy through COVID to keep people from going to church. And everyone was desperate. Oh, I just so wish I could go back to church. I just haven't seen it. And I've talked to very few people who have. And so as I say that prayer, even if it takes hard times and great trials to prepare the soil of our hearts, if what we've been through in the past 18 months was not enough to stir revival, it frightens me to think what it will take. And I have to ask myself, am I willing to pray for revival? Do I want it bad enough that I'm willing to say, God, do whatever it takes. I, I, I don't have an answer. Again, some of you are old enough to remember 9-11 and how, like for two weeks after 9-11, churches were packed. People were having spontaneous prayer meetings every night of the week. And then it was like, when we realized the world wasn't really going to come to an end immediately, we just kind of sunk back to wherever we were. Jesus, going a little farther, he fell on his face, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do I want revival? according to his will, even if it doesn't fit my expectation. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, and again, sometimes in my moments of, of, I will say reflecting, because I just said grumbling was a bad idea, but sometimes when I reflect on how things are, I think things are a mess, all right? I do. 
imagine how the disciples felt after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And, and they, it's just really, really a confusing time. So suddenly, they're together. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So you got this huge conglomeration of people. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So God is stirring in the hearts of the disciples and they're speaking God's word in people are hearing it in their own native tongue. That's a whole other discussion for another day. But utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Skipping ahead to verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. So all of the people are coming. There's this crazy stuff going on. All the people begin to gather around. And Peter says, uh, says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he goes on to present the message of Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his atonement for sin. Verse 40 in chapter 20, or chapter 2, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. God stirred in a mighty way. Then continuing on, verse 40, or chapter 2, verse 42 talks about how they continued to grow and develop. Chapter, or verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I don't want to be overly simplistic, folks. But as we talk about praying for revival, can we just acknowledge is it not the same God today that it was then? Why we don't see it, I'm not smart enough to understand. But I have to believe at the core of my being that God is still capable of stirring the hearts of men and women and causing not only individual change, but broad-scale transformation. Pray with me. Righteous Lord, we ask you to send sweeping revival, even if it takes hard times and great trials, to prepare the soil of our hearts. Father, we pray not for shallow, selfish ends, but for your great glory and kingdom. Cause us to come to you in true humility, brokenness, and contriteness of heart. And then, I've gone long, I know, the final one, Pray for global spiritual awakening and evangelistic harvest. Sovereign Lord, we ask you to rend the heavens and send forth your awesome manifest presence. We ask you to so move that over 30 million Americans, how we came up with that number, it's been a number of years ago, put whatever number in there you want. How We ask that you so move that over 30 million Americans will be saved in a single year. 30 million in a year. Does that make anybody's head explode? Cause your glory to sweep the whole earth, bringing unprecedented millions to Christ. We humbly ask you to move even greater than you did in any previous awakening. And there's some pretty awesome stuff that's taken place over history. Blessed God, we pray for one 
last great harvest before the glorious return of your son. Purify your bride, O Christ, and then come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I've been guilty myself of at times when I look at the state of affairs saying, oh, Jesus, would you please just come back? And I suspect at times he's saying, Steve, I would love to, but look at all the people that will be lost. Maybe my prayer needs to be less about get me out of this miserable situation. And it needs to be more about touch hearts that are broken. Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Continuing Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the bride of Christ, which is his church. Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water and through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's our responsibility as a local Christian church. To prepare ourselves to be the bride of Christ that is radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but rather is holy and blameless. That's on us. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Father, again, we pray, Sovereign Lord, we ask you to rend the heavens and send forth your awesome manifest presence. We ask you to so move that over 30 million Americans will be saved in a single year. Cause your glory to sweep the whole earth, bringing unprecedented millions to Christ. We humbly ask you to move even greater than you did in any previous awakening. Blessed God, we pray for one last great harvest before the glorious return of your Son. Purify your bride, O Christ, and then come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, we do continue to pray for your spirit to move, and we pray that not just to get us out of a miserable situation, but we pray it that men and women, boys and girls, of all nationalities, of all political persuasions, will be transformed by your saving grace in numbers that are simply unprecedented. Father, we can't make this happen, but it is our responsibility to ask you to make it happen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Michelle.